Let us pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Christ is risen. What a joyful thing to be able to say that as many times as we possibly can, and even if we have the chance to repeat it with other people yet today. As you see, the message title is Easter, What Does This Mean? That's a good Lutheran question. I mean, even the commandments, you know, thou shalt have no other gods before me. What does this mean? Well, we'll see if we can shed some light on that. First of all, let me tell you a short story. It has to do with a young man from a very wealthy family who was about to graduate from high school. And it was the custom in the neighborhood in which he and his family lived that the parents would give the high school graduate a car. And the boy and his father had spent many months looking for cars. And the week before graduation, they found the absolute perfect one. But on the eve of his graduation, his father handed him a gift, and the gift was a wrapped Bible. The young man was so angry that he threw the Bible down and he stormed out of the house. He and his father never saw each other again. Sadly, it was only the news of his father's death that brought him home again. And there he sat, sifting through his father's possessions, when he suddenly came across the Bible that his father had given him on his high school graduation day. He brushed away the dust and opened it, only to find a cashier's check, dated the day of his high school graduation in the exact amount of the car they had chosen together. When I first heard this story, I could not help but wonder how many people in this world have done the same thing to God. They have literally tossed him aside, tossed aside a wonderful promise because they don't understand it or they don't believe it or they can't be bothered by it. Now, in our world today, we are taught if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I mean, so many of us have been taken in by empty promises. I mean, when was the last time you ever saw a free car wash and you pulled in and only to find out with a full tank of gas? I mean, so we're kind of leery of anyone or anything that tells us that we can actually have something for nothing. Now, the truth of the matter is the world is full of empty promises. We watch television ads and they tell us, you know, that we can be happy or sexy or rich or famous if we only purchase a certain product. And it doesn't take us very long before we have been fooled enough to know that the world's promises are full of emptiness. But I'm here to remind all of us again today that God is different. Instead of promises full of emptiness on Easter, God gives us emptiness that is full of promises. Empty crosses, empty tombs, and empty grave clothes. Yes, friends, the resurrection of Jesus and the empty things he leaves behind really change things if you stop and think about it. It, first of all, changes the meaning of faith. In verse 17 of the text I read you before, it says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. I don't know if you're familiar with the term American civil religion, but that's really the religion that's practiced in our country today. 
And really all it means is people think that religion is kind of like a huge buffet table. And you can go through and you kind of pick and choose whatever you want to believe, whatever you find personally appetizing. They think their religion is some sort of a personal thing. And each person can kind of develop their own hybrid form of a belief or religion according to his or her own whim. Now, as far as freedom, or religious freedom goes, that's true. But as far as truth goes, it's a totally different game. I mean, truth is not determined by a matter of taste or by personal whim. I mean, Christianity is not based upon how you feel when you wake up in the morning. It's based upon a historical fact. It's a fact that we have said over and over already this morning. Jesus Christ died, but he rose from the grave. Now, I think I have two points here. One is that Christianity, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but Christianity is the only religion where their leader dies for his people. Every other religion in the world, people die for their leader. Isn't that odd? Our leader died for us. And of all the religions in the world today, only Christianity has a live God, a live Jesus. Everybody else's God is dead. And see, since he conquered death, that means he is who he said he is. He said he was Jesus, the Messiah. Or as C.S. Lewis once said, and I'm going to quote him, he said, a, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of, with a man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord. But let us not come to any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. End of quote. Friends, in other words, uh, Jesus could really only be one of four different things. He is either a legend, he is a liar, or he is a lunatic. Or he is Lord. Those are your four choices. Legend, liar, lunatic, or Lord. Now, the interesting thing is if you bother to study this, there is so much historical and archaeological evidence to support his existence that every reputable historian agrees that he was not just the legend. And if you stop and think about it, if Jesus were a liar... Why would he bother to die for his claim when he could easily have avoided such a cruel death as crucifixions by just saying, just kidding, just kidding. And if he were a lunatic, I mean, how could he possibly engage in intelligent debates with his opponents or handle the stress of betrayal or handle the stress of crucifixion while continuing to show great love for those people who are trying to put him to death? See, Jesus the Christ said, I am Lord, I am God. Uh, and the evidence supports that claim. And that means that he must be able to do what he said he could do, which was what? Give us eternal life. And that must certainly mean that promises that many of you have heard your whole life, like, lo, I'm with you always, or I will never leave you or forsake you, then all of those promises he ever made to us must be true as well. 
see the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the reason why we're here today. At least I'm hoping that's the reason you're, you're here today. I mean, you're not here to show off a brand new suit or a flower or anything. Um, or to get a, you know, get in good with your wife or husband. Um, but the reality of the resurrection is what really gives substance to our faith and really the ability to face life's tough, toughest challenges because we know that if God is for us, who can be against us? So it changes the meaning of our faith, but second, it changes the meaning of death. Again, in our text, verse 18, if Christ has not been raised, then those who have died in Christ have perished. Now, I put that into the KG version, that KGV, that's Kolb's general version, which would be just this. If Jesus died and stayed dead, when you die, you'll stay dead too. That's what that verse says. Now, during my first year as a pastor, some almost 30 years ago, two elderly ladies died within days of each other. And the fact that their deaths were so close together made, you know, for different atmosphere of, of each funeral more obvious. Now, both of these elderly ladies were very sincere, very dedicated, very committed members of Emmanuel and Belvedere, but their families were distinctly different. Most members of the first family were all practicing Christians. In fact, several of the people in their family had gone into ministry, either teaching or the pastoral ministry. And even though there were a lot of tears and a lot of sorrow in her passing, I remember the funeral and the visitation and the luncheon afterwards was filled with laughter and love and a lot of great and wonderful memories. I mean, her funeral literally was a celebration of her graduation from life to eternal life. In contrast, the other funeral a few days later was for a family that I guess could best be described as not a very religious group of people. None of this lady's kids ever attended church, or might, they might be what we sometimes call priesters. They show up at Christmas or Easter, or they're the hatched, matched, or dispatched crowd, baptisms, weddings, and funerals. But other than that, they really weren't there. Uh, the grandkids did not attend church either because their parents didn't. And not surprisingly, the grieving process at that funeral was entirely different from the first one. Instead of laughter and fond memories, there was anger shown. There was guilt shown. And instead of celebration, the family was in utter despair. I mean, the grown children did not have any peace whatsoever about their mom's death and that the other ladies' children had for the simple reason, I believe, is because they themselves did not have any personal faith in Jesus Christ, the one who came back from the dead and who promises us also if we believe that we would have eternal life. Now, in my time as a pastor, I have seen this time and time again. Those people with a strong faith in Jesus are able to face all sorts of difficulties, including death, their own and that of other people, loved ones, much differently, much differently than other people who are only marginally religious. Now, why is that? It's because Jesus' resurrection gives a whole new meaning to death. See, death is no longer an end. Death no longer has power over you and me. This is why Paul says, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? See, death's power has been defeated. 
Paul also said the last enemy to be destroyed is death. He said death is swallowed up in victory. In fact, I heard someone say last night, you know something? Jesus, when he died, killed death. I mean, think about that for a moment. Jesus killed death when he died. See, because of Jesus' resurrection, we know that death is just merely a transition from this life to the next. And we can, we can take great comfort in his promise that I go and prepare a place for you. I know I've recounted this story many times over the years about a pastor on his deathbed. And somebody asked him, Pastor, are you afraid to cross the river to the other side? And his comment was, why should I be afraid? Because my master owns the land on both sides of the river. See, when you die, it's only the beginning. And if you're a Christ follower, if Jesus Christ is truly your Lord and Savior, you will never, ever die. You know that? You'll merely take your last breath here on earth and your next breath in heaven. That's the promise of Jesus. That's the promise that Jesus made to the thief on the cross. Verily, verily, I say unto you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Easter changes the meaning of faith. Easter changes the meaning of death. But it also changes the meaning of life. Verse 19, if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are all people most to be pitied. Again, if I translated that into the KGB version, it's Cole's general version. Yeah, if, if, if this life, Jesus isn't true, we're a bunch of suckers. Uh, we've been duped. See, Paul wrote those words at a time when professing faith in Jesus was potentially a dangerous activity. Many Christians in the days of Paul lived with the threat of death or persecution. And in fact, in the 2,000 plus year history of the church up to this very moment, Christians have suffered torture. They have suffered abuse. They've suffered persecution. They've suffered mockery. They have suffered death. And if this life is all there is, friends, I got to tell you, anybody would have to be nuts to have to deal with that kind of mistreatment. Now, certainly, while 21st century American Christians probably do not live under the same threats, that doesn't mean that we don't suffer persecution. It doesn't mean that we don't experience sacrifice. I mean, I could probably tell you any number of times when people have made some disparaging comments about me because they found out I was, oh, a pastor. No, you're better than me. No, I'm better than I used to be. That's who I am. It's subtle, but it's there. There's religious persecution that just tromps across our land each and every day where Christians are told to shut up and mind their own business. Don't bring your Jesus into this conversation. We don't want to hear about your God. I just read this morning on ESPN about an atheist group that is trying to come down hard on the Clemson football team because there are so many Christians on that team. Nancy and I went and saw the movie the other day, God is Not Dead. And there's one statement in that movie where the guy says, I don't know why atheists who do not believe in God are so worried about him. <laughs> and I tell you, in my own life, in talking to a person who claimed to be an atheist, I remember ending the conversation this way. Well, I'll pray for you. And he says, don't, please don't. 
Now, I don't know what he was afraid of. He's afraid that my God was more powerful than his... Nothing? See, the Bible says very clearly, 2 Timothy 3.12, you can look it up, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's pretty clear. That's a promise. But it's not one of those fuzzy little nice promises that we like to hear, is it? Oh, we like, you know, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge and He'll make your paths nice and straight. Oh, we love that one. All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. No questions asked. Now, you might ask, well, how does that manifest itself? Well, you know, every day there are business people who don't get promotions. Why? They're too godly. There are applicants who don't get hired because there are some people who don't want Bible thumpers in their business. There are new neighbors that are not accepted in some neighborhoods because they happen to be Christian. There are salesmen who cannot close the deal because people are offended they might have a cross on the lapel of their sport coat. There are writers who have a hard time getting their books published. There are students who sometimes do not get a fair grade. I've read recently about students who were asked to write about the most popular figure from history that they loved, and they wrote about Jesus and were given an F and told to start over. There are some athletes who do not get a starting position because of their faith. There are actors who don't get parts in Hollywood because they're Christians. There are politicians, believe it or not, who do not get elected, all because they're bold enough to stand up for Jesus. That's the price that you and I make when we stand up. Now, of course, you can back up and disappear and hide, hide in the dim twilight, too. But Jesus said, if you confess with your mouth, if you show that you're a Christian... Friends, if there's no resurrection, uh, if, this is, if this life is all there is, who cares? I, we, we'd, be, we'd, be a fool, we'd be foolish to allow ourselves to be even slightly inconvenienced for the sake of religion, if this is all there is. In fact, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, why would we even bother to come here today? If there's no resurrection, guess what? Even Paul figured this out. Paul said, oh, if there's no resurrection, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But, and you know something, there's always a but, isn't there? You know, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But if Jesus is raised, that's the game changer. Everything changes. And the pain and the sorrow and the persecution and the mistreatment and even the little itty-bitty inconveniences have special significance. In fact, every detail of your life has special significance to God. 
I mean, the Bible even says he knows the number of hairs on your head. Well, I guess for some of us, he's knowing us less and less. But nevertheless, he knows the hairs on our head. He knows when a sparrow falls out of the tree. I mean, if God is raised, the only logical person, the only logical purpose in life is to follow him and do whatever he asks you to do. See, before the resurrection, death was the end. Death was the final curtain call. Before the resurrection, all we could do is mourn at those who had no hope. But, you know, after the resurrection, when someone dies, we mourn. Nothing wrong with crying at a funeral. We mourn because we've lost a loved one. But we mourn as people who have great hope. We have great hope because Jesus is alive, and the promise is that if he is alive... We too can live forever. Our sins are forgiven by his shed blood and we have the promise of everlasting life. It changes everything for people who believe. You know, in many churches across America today, particularly Lutheran churches or maybe even Catholic churches, today is the day we kind of breathe a great sigh of relief. Because we have slogged all the way through 40 days of Lent. And we've gotten through Holy Week, and we went through Monday, Thursday, we went through Good Friday, and today is Easter, and we can celebrate, and then we can all go home, and we can put our feet up and finally relax. In fact, a lot of pastors don't even show up at their own church the following week. They take it off. I won't be here next week. <laughs> But it doesn't mean I'm not preaching somewhere. But if you think about it, Easter is where it all begins. Easter is the start. It is not the finish of the story. Some of you are old enough, like me, you may remember the former General Secretary of the United Nations. His name was Dag Hammarskjöld. He one time prayed, for all that has been, thanks. For all that shall be, Yes. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we come with the women to the tomb, give us faith to stay with the story, to hold open our minds, our hearts, and lives to whatever you now want us to do. For Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. We are going to sing our response to this message, and there'll be the concluding verses of the hymn that we already started. <laughs>